Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Witches. They're not great chefs, but you'll eat your dinner and like it. Now, let's dim the lights and start the seance. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Coconut Crunchos, the cereal for kids and only kids or else. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. <laughs> I am Todd. I don't know why that one got me. <laughs> it's so, I don't know, has nothing to do with it. Oh, anyway. If you know the reference, it gets dark really no. quick. Um, and it's so good. Good commentary. And so welcome to the show. We are filmmakers and writers, actors, a musician, all the things. And we like to, I don't know, see what makes a movie a movie. Like the pestle, the, the name of the show comes from the idea of a mortar and pestle. You know, if you want to make flour, you grind up wheat or corn um, and that makes flour. And so we like to grind up, you know, movies and see what is inside of them. You know, what and what else can we make from this uh, residue of this thing we've beaten to a pulp, perhaps, maybe. And so part of being, you know, of what we do as filmmakers is we're really good at faces. You know, I direct, I direct actors and people and sometimes myself. And so I'm, I'm really good at these things. And so uh, all that to say, I went to a movie a few months ago called Death, Death on the Nile. I enjoy Kenneth Branagh films and I don't care if it's going to be, you know, predictable or completely out of left field. I'm going to go watch every single one of, you know, those kinds of movies because it's, I like a good whodunit. And so I, I sit through it and I'm like, man, that was solid. I really liked, you know, uh, Margot Robbie's performance and everyone was doing really good work in there. And so fast forward all that, uh, a week or two ago, I see Hulu, uh, releases death on the Nile. And I'm like, Oh, cool. I don't know if I'm going to watch it again, uh, but I might uh, just, you know, because I like hanging out with a lot of those actors, Gal Gadot and uh, Kenneth Branagh and so forth um, and Margot Robbie. And then I'm I, I'm always interested in like reading like the billing order because that can be things that actors fight over. Right. Uh, the prestige of being first billing adds a lot to your cachet and uh, to how much you make and th that kind of thing. Um, and it's who the audience identifies with. And so I'm, I'm reading the, uh, the billing order on Netflix or on Hulu. And it's like Kenneth Branagh, Gal Gadot and Emma Mackey. And I was just beside myself. I was like, Whoa, that's interesting. They didn't give uh, Margot Robbie like second or third billing. Um, that's crazy. I wonder, I wonder what's behind that. Or maybe they just don't care. Maybe, you know, someone was just programming it. And so I'm looking at the, uh, the thing and I'm like, yeah, there she is right there, you know, to the side. This is weird. And so I, I start to slowly say, wait, Emma Mackey was in this? Cause I like Emma Mackey. I like such a sex education on, on Netflix. And, uh, she's one of the reasons I watch it. I think she's phenomenal. Um, her and Asa Butterfield, you know, have a lot of great chemistry and, I start wondering, like, who was she in this film? Wait. And I rush over to IMDb and I realize I sat through this whatever two hour plus film thinking I was watching Margot Robbie and it was Emma Mackey the whole time. <laughs> That's amazing. That's how bad I am with faces. Um, and there was this joke you were going to make at my expense and it would have been a great joke, uh, last week I was making this commentary, like you, you uproot yourself into another culture and it can be hard to identify faces. Like, uh, if you and I were to go over to, you know, Japan, right. Suddenly two things are happening at once. One, 
all the Japanese people are mistaking you and I because we're six foot white boys with brown hair and we're also struggling to remember who's who um because we're not you know as good at recognizing the subtleties of those facial features and so i'm i'm but i'm and that's going to be with everyone i have such a harder time though and you're going to make this joke about yeah well you're you're really out of luck because i can't even tell white people apart (laughs) like how screwed am i (laughs) with the rest of society Oh, yeah. Fantastic. So that was a really fun moment of just realizing I literally (laughs) sat through two hours thinking I was watching one of the most beautiful and recognizable people on the planet. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. You know, and it's it's funny. I honestly think if I shaved my beard and then showed up at your front door, knocked and said, hey, Wes, it's me. And you looked at me, you'd probably take a beat. I think you'd you'd notice me, but you might take a beat and be like, what? Oh, hey, what's up, man? Yeah. And then you'd act like nothing. 100%. That stuff has happened to me a lot where I run into someone. Uh, I've told the story before. My boss and I worked together for years together. Um, and I left the office and I walked outside the building and he walked up to me and I didn't recognize him. I was just with him 15 minutes ago. <laughs> and I didn't recognize him literally on the street because you remove the context and suddenly I don't know anything about anyone. It is dangerous to be you. Yeah, <laughs> it you, really is. You could really come up to me, pretend to know me, bump some money off of me and say, you'll pay me back. And I'd be like, oh, good, man. I'll see you next week at bingo or whatever. Right. Like, you, you'd win. <laughs> Yeah, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Uh, that's amazing. So, um, what are we going to look at today, my friend? Uh, today, we're going to look at the facelessness of a ghost story. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it pretty easy to, or hard to tell the ghosts apart, maybe. Who knows? So, yeah. So, if you haven't seen it, please pause the episode, go watch it, because uh, we're going to spoil a lot of stuff. Yeah, I think so, anyway. I don't, I don't yeah. have a lot on my note list. Like, we'll definitely look at some of the existentialism there's a great conversation going on in here about existentialism uh, the end of everything um so we'll, we'll we'll look at that um and other such stuff and things and stuff maybe so a quick synopsis of the film uh, a ghost returns to his home to try to reconnect with his bereft wife written and directed by david lowry cinematography by andrew draws palermo uh starring casey affleck as c and rooney mara as m let's wrap this up all up under the blanket of someone thinking this is something that they'll remember me for and they did and we do and sure enough we do what we can to endure we build our legacy piece by piece and maybe the whole world will remember you or maybe just a couple of people but you do what you can to make sure you're still around after you're gone and so we're still reading this book we're still singing a song. Kids remember their parents and their grandparents. And everyone's got their family tree. And Beethoven's got his symphony. And we've got it too. And everyone will keep listening to it f- for the foreseeable future. But that's where things start breaking down. Because your kids... Do you have kids? Wait. Who here has kids? You, your kids are going to die. Yours too. Yours too. Hey, just saying, they're all going to die. And their kids will die. And so on and so on. And then there's going to be one big, one big tectonic shift. Yosemite will blow and the western plates will shift and the oceans will rise. The mountains will fall. And 90% of humanity will be gone. One fell swoop. This is just science. 
So you and I had a unique experience in watching this for the first time in that I'm a member of the Austin Film Society, uh, which is nothing prestigious. I'm a card carrying member. I never get to say that about anything. Like I'm not, a, no one wants me for a member of anything. And so I'm not a member of anything. Uh, but this is the one thing I'm in there. Um, but only because I paid whatever the 90 bucks, like everybody else. And so, and that what comes with that is they'll do some of these events, you know, throughout the year. Uh, and for this one, they did a screening. I don't know if it was like on the release or maybe a week or two leading up to it, but they had David Lowry in, in attendance. And I don't remember, I forgot to check my email. I don't remember if, uh, if it was just him being interviewed by one of the staff members, uh, or if Linkletter was in attendance and he was having a conversation or if I'm just confusing that with one of my other screenings, cause he's one of the founders of, uh, the AFS. And so he, he, pops up, you know, pretty regularly, uh, for interesting conversations that only he can have. And, and so we, we went to the film, you know, watched it and then he comes on and does a Q and a afterwards and I'll get to my, I had a question for him and I, I thought it was really interesting and informative. And so I'll, I'll try to remember some of the tidbits that we learned in that Q and a, it's definitely asking a lot. Cause this is what, four years ago. And so I don't know. I can't really remember. I remember very much how I felt, but I couldn't remember how you felt coming out of this uh, initially. And so I'm definitely curious to see if your feelings on this has changed or shifted since then, um, or if it's pretty much the same and you know what that is, the, the before and after, what does that look like for you? Yeah. I remember the first time seeing it, I was underwhelmed, you know, um, just because, or I didn't, I honestly don't even know why I was just hmm. kind of expecting one thing. Cause it's called a ghost story. So you expect one thing and you get something completely different and even, but even leading into seeing the ghost for the first time, you know, there's some tense moment, you know, the, the moment where they hear like the, the, the bang or the piano on the piano and it's at night. You know, when you just expect some to see something or something might happen, it's shot really moodily and moodily, if that's a word. And, it, you know, so I just expected more to happen and it didn't. But watching it a second time, I feel like my feelings have actually changed. I actually really enjoyed it and I really liked it, knowing that really nothing's going to happen, you know. And I I don't know, for whatever reason, I just think that right now at this time in my life, I'm equating it more to 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 real life, to the, to the feeling and experience of what real life, everyday life might feel like. I'm not, I'm not even talking about as a ghost. I'm talking about just in general, the way they shoot things like the, uh, her dragging the, the chest out of the, out of the house onto the sidewalk. It's one take the whole thing. You watch her drag the, drag it all the way out, all the way back. We watch, you know, when we see the house, the slow pan over to the, to the crash and we see him laying there like it did really lo her eating the pie like actually had meaning to me now as opposed to the first time I saw it watching it now it was it was clear as day it was her friend brings her a pie to make her feel better and she knows that and so she tries to eat the whole thing because that's all she can do she's like I want this to make me feel better so I'm going to eat as much of it as I possibly can until I start to feel better. And she just kept eating and kept eating until she threw up, right? Because no amount of that pie is going to make her feel better. He's, he's gone. So that actually had re resonated with me. I, I identified with it a lot. I thought her character, she was amazing in this film. I thought that scene of the, the monologue was, 
you know, one of the best parts of the film. I thought it, I identified with it a, a lot. And if you let that scene keep going, it, it goes even farther. Talks about atoms breaking down and everything just like dissipating into nothingness. And and so what does it matter? What does Beethoven's fifth matter? Right? You know, in the end, if you really want to go down that route. And and recently I just had a conversation with my wife about, you know, like how it life is really interesting in that everything matters and nothing does. And it all depends on so many other things than what that thing actually is. And a lot of it has to do with internal and your own personal view of something or your own personal experience of something and what you put on top of that, what you bring on top of that. So all that to say, I really enjoyed it a second time a lot. I got through it really quickly and, you know, things that I thought that I remembered taking forever and just being drawn out and not, I don't, you know, oh, you know, it should have cut this sooner or whatever, like. I didn't feel any of that this time. It was weird. It was weird. The scene where, uh, you know, he's he's dead laying on the table. She's in there. She says goodbye, puts this sheet over him. And then we sit there for a good solid minute. May, you know, maybe 90 seconds. I don't know. We're just sitting there. 60 seconds. Yeah. 60 seconds. Yeah. Good solid minute. And then he sits up. I remember that. I remember that moment in the theater four mm-hmm. or five years ago, whenever I was there with you, thinking, whoa. And... You know, questioning, is he actually dead? Is he alive? Is he going to take the sheet off? Oh, no, he's the ghost and the sheet is now him. Okay, interesting. So it was just an interesting take on a ghost, right? Why not put a sheet over him? I don't know. Um, especially if he's not trying to be scary or or anything for the most part. Uh, anyway, I just identified with it more. I saw more meaning in it this time than than last time. And I think that also has a lot to do with what I brought to to it as a viewer i think i'm in a much different place than i was four or five years ago when we saw it uh and so i'm bringing something else to it and so i experience it differently was there anything else you know throughout the film you know there's all these sequences um whether we're you know jumping off the building or um, just observing a new family taking over your space and was there any of these other moments that kind of uh, one of the things that he talked about, uh, David Lowry, in the in the Q and A that I remember, is he's a fan of these long moments where you find yourself watching with you know great intensity, and then you stay there so long that you drift away, and you you're staying there so long that you then come back, right? It's like he loves this kind of this creation of your own moments by just sitting with this thing um and how you come and go from from those moments and so i'm wondering if any of these other moments uh are are you having any other i don't know thoughts or uh or anything that you can recall i don't you know you don't need to fabricate anything for me but um mm-hmm. was there any of these other moments that you just found yourself going into interesting spaces i mean definitely the that's a great question for me. Definitely the, the scene of him on the table before he sits up. I I feel like that's one, except for the pie eating shot. I feel like that's the second longest shot. I mean, that's an eight minute scene. Yeah. I mean, it's broken up into two shots, but yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I think those are the two main ones. I mean, the, the, the shot, the scene of her dragging the, the chest out was pretty long and I kind of drifted out and came back a little bit, but I, you know, I was just waiting to see what was going to happen uh, more than anything else. But really the only, the only scene where I can, I can viscerally say, yes, that happened to me 
was the the scene in the hospital of him sitting up. Hmm. That one, I definitely drifted off. I was like, I know something's happening. I, and then I, rem- I remembered in my head that he's going to sit up. So I was waiting for him to sit up and he didn't forever. And I drifted away and then I, I came back and I was like, okay, it's got to be soon. Okay, there it is. Okay. But the other, the other shots, I didn't really feel that because there was always something happening. You know, even the, you know, the scene of her eating the pie, the super long scene, it was her. I could watch her on a screen for 20 minutes just eating a pie and not drift away. She's <laughs> Rooney Mara is awesome. Uh, so, yeah, um, that, that's the only one I remember. What about you? Um, I struggle really, really badly to connect with this one. Um, I just, I, I basically hated it the first time and I would say it got worse for me the second and and I tried it again a third time. I was like, okay, done it again. Let me just really sit and grab my notepad. And, and usually whenever I'm doing that, I focus so much, you know, more closely and I'm able to connect a lot of dots or at least. And I just, it's so frustrating because there's just no dots to really connect. I mean, uh, the things that are happening are right there on the surface and any additional meaning I think you want to put into it is great. That's there. Like, I love your, your reading of the Piscine. I think you're right. I just, I don't know that it takes eight minutes to get me there. Like that's, that's a really labor of love. And I, I understand too, that's the first time as a ghost, he's back in the same room uh, with, you know, his lover. And there is that interesting shot where we're just kind of watching her from one angle and before, and then we spend whatever four minutes of her standing up and then she grabs it, sits down we cut to this new angle and we see he's still in the room. Like we didn't really see him in that other shot. Now you cut to this new angle and he's just there hovering at the edge of the frame. And I, yeah, I, I just, I look at this film and it's hard for me to say, this isn't underwritten. Like I just feel it that, and I, I think my favorite thing about this movie is hearing people talk about it. Like I hate watching it. This is such a terrible excruciating experience for me. And I really mean that. Um, (laughs) But at the same time, listening to you talk about it is really like gripping to me. Uh, I had a a good hangout session over Skype with our, our dear friends, uh, Joe and Heather and I brought up, you know, hey, we're about to do a ghost story. And Joe immediately just kind of kicked off. He's like, man, there's just these interesting moments. And I remember feeling X, Y, and Z. And and I was like, no, 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 go on, please. And hearing him talk about it and those moments that he did connect with uh, was really interesting. And I think that's probably the best that you can do with this film is if you're connecting with it, you know, share those experiences because this is a a very divisive movie. I don't know that you can just sit in the middle of this movie. Like you, you probably are going to really appreciate it for what it's doing, or you're really going to loathe it for everything it's not doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I'm at. I, I can't stand it for all the things that it's not trying to do. Um, because you, you, if you, if you tighten up this edit at all, you, you suddenly have, you know, a 25, 30 minute short film, um, and it just feels like this is a 20 minute short film that got stretched into 90. Uh, and I feel that in my bones when I'm watching it. And it's not to say that there aren't interesting things. And that's the frustrating part is that there are interesting things. There's interesting ideas. That conversation is incredible. Like that guy talking, I feel like someone, you know, grabbed our brains and just scribbled out 
things that we think about um, and put it in this great poetic and uh, absurd guy. Like he's, he's such a ridiculous dude. And, you know, and I love the way they cast it and I love his performance and I love his wardrobe and I love the setting. That's an ex, just an excellent moment. And it just, for me, doubles down on my problem with the film and that he's capable he can write incredible stuff. He has incredible ideas. It just feels like he doesn't want to push it. And to me, it just looks like laziness whenever I'm thinking about what it could have been or uh, all the other things. It just feels like, you know, instead of doing that, I'm just, I don't know, going to punish the audience. I don't know. <laughs> um, but there are so many people who love this film. And so I can't say that I'm right. I don't think that I'm right. This is just how I feel as, as you know, yeah. someone trying to appreciate and watch a, an art house film. And I love films that aren't in a rush and that don't really go anywhere. Um, we've covered some of those, you know, but I don't think you have to extricate yourself from being more pointed in order to have a more meditative film. Like you, you, you look at, you know, uh, Tree of Life, that's as meditative as, as it gets. And we love that film. Like, there's so much that I appreciate about, you know, these moments and just kind of dragging out a, a, an idea or just letting something sit and resonate with you. Like, that's okay with me. I just don't think he backed it up, backed it up with enough uh, of, of anything. It's just so much relying on scenarios and situations instead of... I don't know, maybe teasing out some of these things uh, a little bit more in some kind of way or another. Because I do see, I I do agree with, let me just agree with you for a second that if this was a 20, maybe even 30 minute short film, it would be fucking excellent. It would be awesome. You know, it would be able to hit all the same beats. Yeah. You know, things would be shorter, obviously, but you, you wouldn't require what I think one of the things that we're lacking in this film is, which is more character development. Right. I mean, we know these these people as actors. Right. We kind of get a small sense of them a little bit how they are. You know, I mean, Casey Affleck's character is very he's very, you know, en engrossed in his music um, to the point where he neglects M uh, a little bit. And but M is a little flighty in some ways. And so, like, we get a, a tiny bit, but not enough for a 90 minute narrative. You know, it's like it's but if it was 20 or 30, then you don't need all that. Yeah. And and you're talking about like a really solid experience at 20 or 30 minutes. So I will I will agree with you on that. Front. Yeah. And I mean, just to even reiterate what you just said, you know, in a way like he the, the characters names are C and M like he didn't even name his characters. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I can understand the the idea that, well, they never say each other's name because how often do you say your wife's name, for instance? Oh, like 10 times a day. Okay, well then, you know, maybe he screwed up. Like he should, maybe yeah. he should have named his characters something. But I, yeah, I mean, he dies, you know, around the 13 minute mark, um, you know, pretty quick into the film. So we spend a lot of time with him as a ghost. And I, I'm conflicted about that just from the standpoint of one, I don't care. I see him and we sit with him in this car wreck for, you know, a million years and I just don't care. And then I see him rise and I still don't care because everything that I knew about him up to that point was he's, he's a bit of an asshole and it's hard to root for them. Now I also understand that, and this is my, you know, uh, ambivalence, I guess is he, 
it's that part of him that is now watching the rest of his life. And you start to feel regret, right? As he's watching some of these scenes play out, you can start to uh, imbue him with all these emotions that you obviously can't read because he's a ghost and in wearing the sheet, right? You can't connect to his, his face or at, at all. Um, he has no voice anymore. Um, he can, he's only a passive observer. And I, and I love the the iconography, right? That was one of the things when I saw this, it, I saw it as a poster, maybe even like this, uh, uh cardboard standup, um, in, in the, in the draft house, like six months before it came out. And I was super excited. I was like, Oh, that's genius take advantage of this really obvious iconography that no one's really used before um, and tell a really interesting story. And so I was geeked about it. And then I thought, you know, using it in that way makes a lot of sense, right? He's voiceless. He's only a passive observer. And then of course you also don't need Casey Affleck on set every single day. You can, you know, grab a PA and say, Hey, (laughs) go sit in this Mm -hmm. thing um, or whatever. And so really smart. It's just so frustrating because Oh, and then, you know, so you're, you're, you're frustrated with him and then watching him kind of watch from afar and he's scratching at the note and yeah, I, I just feel very, very mixed at, because when it does grab me, I'm like, yes, let me. And then it just stretches everything too long that I never get a chance to build on an emotion. I always feel like I'm left with music to fill in to substitute for dialogue and music to substitute for you know any emotional uh or situational thing that can you know create and contextualize an emotion Um, there's just so little of that and it just feels like a a really long drawn out you know music video um that kind of doesn't know exactly what it wants to say but it wants you to figure it out for it um and that stuff just kind of drives me nuts uh, you know, as someone who, who appreciates good writing and um, looks to be inspired by that stuff. Uh, yeah, I think that, that, and you're probably going to speak to this a little bit when you talk about the existentialism as- aspect, um, but, <laughs> or maybe not. Not um, at all. <laughs> but one of the, th- I don't know, man, one of the things that I really like loved about it was that I felt this time, and maybe I just, you know, I don't know. It just said watching it a second time years later was just this, this changing of the guard, this like passage of time when something is standing still and yet everything else is changing and the loneliness of that. I felt like I thought it was brilliant. The whole, the, the shots of, uh, of her continually walking in and out of the door uh, mm. after the ghost had got there and, and time was passing. We get the sense of time passing um, through that. But then, you know, she moves out and then we have, you know, this party scene that you showed and we have this other Hispanic family that's living there and, and then the house gets torn down. I mean, how many years has it been, right? The house is dilapidated. How many years did it take for the, those, those uh, wooden planks to fall out of the ceiling? Hmm. I mean, you're talking decades probably, you know, how long has that, has he been there experiencing the passage of time and pain and trying to get to that note, but being trapped there and so i just feel i felt this longing for this this thing this guy or whatever you want to call it to to be able to have peace you know whatever that meant and and you know if you hadn't seen it before you didn't know what that meant oh he's he needs the note in order to to pass on whatever that Mm -hmm. and 
I, I liked that we don't see it. We don't know what it is. It's just between them. And I'm sure you love that too. But that, that whole passage of times thing and, and this, this idea that, you know, everything matters and nothing does. Everything is going to go to return to dust and dust is even going to, to go, go to nothing. So, but along the way it does matter because there's this feeling that, that I got for not just him as a ghost, but also I kept thinking of her like, okay, how old is she now? Does she have another family? You know, does mm. she have children with someone else? Has she moved on? Is she is she an old woman who just couldn't get over it? Uh, where is she living? Did she move out of state? Is she, you know, overseas? Like, whatever. What is she doing for a living? Is she happy? And I'm sure he, I felt myself wondering these things. And you've got to think, yes, he's a ghost, but he has a mind, you know, or some kind of consciousness. I mean, mm-hmm. he's talking to the ghost across the way through the window. So he can obviously tap into some some kind of vocabulary and communication skill. So he probably is thinking and reasoning about like whether it's time, I don't know. Maybe not time because he's experiencing time a little bit differently, at least through the lens of the camera that we're seeing. But he's got to be thinking about her, obviously, because yeah. he's trying to scratch at that note. So, yeah, I know I didn't like it the first time. But for whatever reason, I just really identified with it. And I, I totally respect that that you still don't. And I can completely see why, uh, because I agree. If this was 20 minutes, it would be fantastic. And I think we'd be both in agreement. Yeah, for sure. One of the uh, things that I noticed in the credits that first time was in the middle, like maybe even towards the end of the credits, there was just this random... I, especially when I'm forced to sit through credits, I usually just kind of scan for any names I recognize and it never happens. Like never, except this one time I see additional editor Shane Carruth and it's buried. Like it's really buried in there. And I just, and I was like, wait, what, (laughs) what is, what is Shane Carruth? You know, why is his name so far down and why is he credited as an editor like this is so random uh and if people don't remember shane caruth uh wrote and directed primer this little mm-hmm. indie darling and so he's out of dallas and i believe david lowry is also out of dallas and so somehow or another they're they're peers and so whenever they got to the q a i was like i gotta know and so i asked you know david lowry i was like hey what's the What's the deal? What's the deal with Shane Carew? <laughs> What's the deal with Shane Carew? <laughs> and so he's like, oh, yeah. So when we were shooting, you know, the first, you know, section of the film, I forget how long, maybe the first uh, week or two, um, he was editing on the fly and just kind of in the back room, taking the footage and and just, you know, seeing what it, what it looked like. And, uh, and so at a certain point, he was about to, I think, leave to go work on, uh, one of his next projects, I think upstream color, maybe, or maybe it was after that, maybe it was, uh, he at the time was going to be able to make a topiary. I don't know, but he had to leave for, you know, his own stuff. And he was like, Hey man, I think, and this is, again, I might be sketchy on my memory here, but I want to say it was Shane Carruth who said, you should really pursue that note. Like that should be a thing. You need another shot of the, the inverse of, you're looking at the the note and seeing him on the other side trying to scratch to it. And I think it was encouraging some stuff around the note. And so I don't know if that ended up 
you know, being the ending has some connection with, you know, Shane's idea or not. I can't remember quite that far back, but um, I remember just being, I think more than anything impressed with the idea you would have a buddy on set, like cutting your film together for you and giving you ideas and feedback as you're shooting. That's just, I love that. That's great. Right. That's incredible. I guess it also helps when you know, you have like eight shots in your entire film. There's not, that <laughs> <much>. <laughs> it's pretty easy. Okay. We just need to create one more shot. It simplifies life a lot, um, but still really cool one way or another, you know, to have someone that you trust back there, like giving you feedback and saying, Hey, yeah. what about this? Uh, Cause we've talked about like baby driver way back when they were actually editing on set, like the, the final, you know, cut and it was a temp cut, but still they knew if we needed an extra frame here and there, and if the timing was working for the, uh, the shots that they needed. Uh, but this is a completely different idea of like, we're not bringing in the editor. We're just bringing in another filmmaker who's got his own ideas of what filmmaking should be and how it goes. And so conceptually, that's just really damn cool. And that's awesome. I, yeah. I love that. One of the other things I remember him talking about was how difficult it was getting the, the the wardrobe right i mean you look and just say oh just throw a sheet on an actor and cut a couple holes out and whatever put some black matte uh, material underneath and you're done it sounded a lot more complex than that because the material has to be right um, if you think about all these wrinkles or not not just the the folds that are happening and the way they fall around him that all needed to be a consistent um, and, and certain materials and certain weights of certain materials change. Uh, then on top of that, you also need to make sure that he can walk in it, right? Because if you start moving around, the eyes are going to move around. And so that becomes the next thing of how do we strap this thing onto his face so that it doesn't shift around or that he doesn't step on it whenever he walks forward, right? Uh, it kept catching on things. And uh, it sounded like they really wrestled a lot with just trying to figure out the costume itself like that's that's just a massive headache and i can't remember you know what material they ended up using but it, that was just a really interesting idea of like man how do you deal with that from a, a wardrobe design standpoint and i bet that took you know a, a few weeks of just trial and error maybe even along the way as you're shooting you're like crap we need to rethink this and uh, you just kind of keep going back and forth there's a few wide shots you see them walking and profile and you're like oh that's interesting because the the sheet in the front falls right level with the floor, like not an inch below, you know, so that, and I was just thinking like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense because if it's, if you get that extra inch, he's going to step on it and it's going to ruin the whole shot. And so, yeah, that's, that's a lot to think about with something, you know, so important to the film. Uh, it looks and sounds like a simple, silly, easy execution, but I bet it's anything but that. Um, yeah. because then you also have to think about, is it translucent, right? Uh, is it, is it too thin? And now we're seeing through the actor and now we're losing the effect. Uh, yeah, there's just a lot of things to kind of, uh, chew on with that. It's also interesting that like, I found myself assigning feelings and emotions to this emotionless, never yeah. changing face, you know, <laughs> but there were seen, there were shots like when she was like kissing the guy goodnight. Where I could, I felt like, I felt like I could see him get angry, you know, before he did. Right. Or like, you know, when, if he, he can't get to the, the note or something, or she's leaving when she's leaving and he's staring at her through the window, I felt him be sad. I, I felt like I was feeling that. And, uh, 
obviously they didn't change the face, you know, like it's this, I mean, I don't think they changed the face. Maybe right. it was like a wrinkle here is different than a wrinkle there. Or maybe the eyes slightly or less slightly oval. narrow yeah. or like wider. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Maybe. maybe they had a sad, a sad sheet and a happy sheet, <laughs> you know, and they were <laughs> picking and choosing depending on the scene. But no, uh, yeah, I just, I've found myself assigning feelings and emotions to this thing. And, and uh, so that, I mean, and that was one of the reasons I liked it. You know, it's kind of like reading a book where, you know, the book doesn't necessarily tell you how to feel like mm. a movie does. And uh, uh, so, yeah, yeah, it felt a little bit more like that. Like but I, I was in agree, control. But I agree. And you get those emotions because he wrote a really good contextual scene, right? Like, oh, we're, she's dating now. Mm-hmm. And now we're watching him watch her date. And you can feel that because we understand the nature of jealousy or envy or, or frustration, like all those things. And any one of them can, can, uh, we can easily like imbue onto him, even though it's just the most simple anthropomorphic sheet ever made. Right. It's, it's literally pointy with round eyes. Like that's it. That's all you get. Mm-hmm. But then you have these other, what I felt were uninspired loops, like the noise at the beginning of the movie, you know, it turns out to be him. Ooh, like that's, that's not a very satisfying closure because once you realize he's dead and then you come back to that moment of the, the piano chord being struck, you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. It was him. That makes sense. Like there's nothing particularly satisfying about that kind of moment, as opposed to, I will say there were like, I want to, I want to say two moments that really, first time we watched it hit me pretty well, which is uh, the building where he jumps off. And that's an interesting scene too, because someone else in the, in the audience asked him about Weta at the end of the film, Weta has a, a credit and they were like, did you get Weta for it to work on this no budget film? And he's like, yeah. So I had made some friends over there after making Pete's dragon. Right. Um, and then I came to them and was like, Hey, could y'all help me? I need a shot. Um, and I don't know any other way to get it. And so, you know, they, I think there was some people in their downtime, um, you know, helped him out with the shot and, and return, you know, what, uh, allowed them to use some of their resources. Maybe there was some payment. I, I, I don't know exactly what was traded or not traded. Uh, but he did get to use, you know, some of their, their resources, um, and their artists and in return, they got a credit and, I don't know. I think that's really cool that, you know, some people in the VFX industry will do that. Like, Hey, we like you. We like what you're trying to do here. Yeah. I can throw, you know, 20, 30 hours or in their case, maybe a hundred hours. I have no idea. Uh, in my downtime, right. I will go home and work on this for you, uh, because I'm passionate about what I do and I love what I do. Um, and it's, it's nice to, to be a part of something like this. And that's really cool. So, but even in the film, that moment happens and I'm like, oh, wow. Like what now? What next? Right. And then we kind of get into this moment that the, uh, the hipster at the party was talking about with kind of the heat death and rebirth of the universe. And so, you know, the, the great crunch happens, maybe probably who knows, they don't really spell it out, but it's enough for you to fill in the blanks and he restarts, right? We go back to where that house was 600 years ago or whatever. Um, and people trying to settle the land and dying. And, and then the other moment that hit me, uh, but just that fall, the fall really like was a good rush of emotion um, and just beautifully done. And then the other moment was the, uh, the first time I see him read the note 
you know, there's a nice little musical buildup for that moment. And he opens the note. And then I didn't expect him to just like vanish that way. Um, even though they set it up really nicely with that other person um, who left without getting what they wanted. It felt like they left defeated. Whereas he, at the beginning of the film, ignored the tunnel of light, right? He's in the hospital. He goes down the corridor and the tunnel of light opens and he just looks at it and then it closes like, okay, you're not ready to go. And so he takes a left and goes on about his life. And then at the end, he gets his closure, the the thing he needed. And that felt good. That felt like, oh, wow, that was a beautiful moment. I don't know that I would want to sit 90 minutes, you know, for that one small fleeting moment, but it did hit me. Um, it didn't hit me the second or third viewing though, um, which sucked because I was hoping it would. I, I love mm-hmm. re-experiencing a really good moment and having it hit the same way that you experienced the first time. And that's a really cool feeling. That's what I feel every time I watch Warrior. It's going to hit me every single time. That's a beautiful feeling. But yeah, so my question, one of my, my, my questions to you uh, is if if that's the life of a ghost and you're now going to be a ghost under these circumstances, would you be okay with that? Is that, does that work for you? With being a ghost? Yeah. If this is how it's going to be to be a ghost, would you be okay living like that? No, that's awful. <laughs> Watch my wife marry some other guy or like move on and like my kids grow up like and then die. No, I don't want that. Mm. Not at all. Uh, just get me out of here. I don't want to watch it. Yeah. Just let it happen. Fair enough. enough. I guess the other... I don't know, you? Uh, I don't know. I mean, some of it's kind of interesting. Like, I like the idea. I mean, that part, new, no. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> the rest of it isn't so bad when I think about, you know, watching uh, time go by and how things progress and seeing the future, seeing the past, um, even though he does feel lost. Like, you get that feeling of he just... He doesn't know who he is or where he is and, and what's happening. Um, he just kind of is stumbling along. Um, that There's a certain frightening aspect to that, I guess. Uh, but there's also a really, I don't know, nice feeling about just seeing how things were and how things will be and uh, just being a passive observer. Um, I don't know. There's something mildly soothing about that, I think. Yeah, I mean... That sounds soothing to me, but I feel like unless I know what the passage of time is going to feel like, I'm, hmm. you know, because to us as the as the viewer of this film, the passage of time can be very quick or it can be very long, right? We can sit there for eight minutes with Rudy Mara while she eats a pie, or we can experience, you know, a decade in five seconds. And if that is if that's what it's like, well, you know, maybe possibly. Uh, just because, you know, I know I'm not going to sit there for a hundred years while this house just falls apart around me. Hmm. I'm going to be able to, I don't know, move through it at my own will, essentially. But I don't think he has the ability to do that. I think he's really literally experiencing every moment. And because he doesn't have a brain in the way that we do, he doesn't go insane with hmm. boredom, you know, maybe. And he just kind of like, is time uh in a way yeah and yeah i don't know i just i it's not something that i would be into (laughs) oh no yeah i mean but also you know i was just thinking of the moment you said of when he just stared at the at the light at the door and he let it close 
And I remember thinking, well, if that was me, I'd probably wonder what that was. But they didn't really give that a whole lot of time Mm -mm. in the film. In the film, I mean, it's open for maybe five seconds before it closes. And so it kind of doesn't, unless he's communicating silently, like he communicated with the ghost across the, in the other house, it, we're never told that he said no to it. It just, he didn't have, he's looking at it and he doesn't have a chance to really like take a step forward even. It just kind of is open and then it closes. So, and I was sitting there thinking, would I choose the light Mm. that quickly? I don't know. Cause it's not so easy. It's, it's easy to leave, you know, things behind, but it's not so easy to leave people. And so, you know, it would be kind of difficult to, to make that decision in a split second to leave, you know? Maybe that's like God's final act as of being an asshole. It's just like, hey, you want to come live forever? No. Nope. <laughs> Yoink. <laughs> he just he rips maybe, it away. Maybe. Maybe. So, I mean, he is like a like a kid on a hill with a with an, <laughs> on an anthill with a with a magnifying glass, right? I think so. Yeah, he's playing um, around. So I guess my 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 last question is, what did you feel that whole conversation at the party? It's very existential and maybe you leaning into nihilistic of at the end of the day, cause he used Beethoven. I usually think of Shakespeare, like no one has had a bigger effect. I think than than Shakespeare, like his work is still read as is right. And it's still, you know, hundreds of years later, he wrote new words and it'll be around for hundreds more, you know, as long as we have people, they'll be still, dissecting and discussing and performing Shakespeare. Like that's incredible. That's really incredible. I think most of us are, are would ha- be happy to say, man, five years after I die, people are still, you know, appreciating my art or maybe even five years after I put out art, people still, <laughs> you know, remember my art. Well put, well put. Um, and so what did that conversation, did it resonate or uh, what are those ideas and thoughts kind of do to you about just uh, the the ultimate because if Shakespeare isn't going to survive a million years, a billion years, you know, the they, the great crunch of the universe, what does it all mean? Uh, and I know this kind of circles back to your conversation with, with uh, Jenny, but yeah, what does that idea and that thought process uh, mean to you? It, it means that what I said, that I kind of like honestly live by, it, that it all matters and it doesn't. And it really depends on what you, how you want to see a certain scenario and how it benefits, how it moves you forward. I'll say how, how it moves you forward because it's a dangerous thing to live by like, by what that guy was saying. It's important to acknowledge the truth of it, right? To understand that what he's saying is not wrong. It's absolutely true and it's going to happen. So you worrying about your taxes should only bother you so much, right? (laughs) It bothers you, but it should only bother you so much. And I say that because, but I also say that it's dangerous because you can go down this road of like, it doesn't matter, right? That, which is absolutely not true. Does it matter if you love your kids or if you love your friends or your family? And if you believe what this guy says at wholly 100%, no, it doesn't. They don't matter, right? But that's dangerous because they do matter. They absolutely matter. And how you treat them matters. Not just to them, but to, to you, to the people around you, 
to to your certain circumstances, right? If if uh, you know someone passes away that's very close to you, and you have a chance to go to their funeral, does it matter? No, but yes, it does because then you get to say goodbye. You're you're, you're like it all matters, but it doesn't. And so I align with that to a point where it can calm me down about certain things that shouldn't that I shouldn't put so much weight on, but not so much that it actually brings me down to stop creating, to stop, you know, trying to move forward, progressing, building myself into something better, right? Whatever that better might be. So I, I, it, it's a way to keep me balanced in saying these things. Uh, so yeah, I can identify with him, but you know, I'm not waking up as a nihilist and like, you know, I wouldn't be on this podcast. That's for sure. <laughs> Cause what does it matter? It's not going to be around, you know, mm-hmm. in 30 days. Huh. <laughs> whatever <laughs> i'm just kidding uh you know what i mean it's not gonna be around forever so why well because i it, it brings me joy it, it, i get to see, i get to see and hang out with my friend i get an excuse to watch a movie i haven't seen in a long time or ever i have an excuse to talk a, about it to talk about these things like this and and it brings me joy that that's that's why and who cares if it's not going to be around in 100 years you know if everybody who who made art or anything only did it because they wanted it to be around in a hundred years. Nobody would make art or should yeah. honestly. Right. You shouldn't make art because you, you hope it's going to be around a hundred years. You should make it because you have like this, some something inside you that says I need to make something. Right. I mean, that's the opposite of nihilism. So, but he does have a point. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're absolutely right. Like it, it can be dangerous to, only exist in these absolute terms of nothing matters anyway, right? The nihilistic uh, perspective of since nothing I do matters anyway, I'm just going to live uh, with the most reckless abandon possible, right? This is how you go into uh, the abyss um, and you start reacting to your worst impulses because there are still consequences. And just because things are temporary doesn't mean they don't matter, right? Like, how I feel today won't matter maybe in five years. Right. I can't tell you, Oh, that thing that pissed me off five years ago in traffic or uh, when I stubbed my toe or when someone stood me up or whatever, like, yeah, I, I don't remember that. I'm not connected to those feelings anymore. I'm, I'm sure I could. I, my memory's a little ridiculous in that way, but it doesn't mean that that didn't matter then. Um, and that it didn't have an impact on, you know, my life and the lives of people around me. Uh, and those things, they matter. I think you said it pretty well, like they matter as much as you want it to matter. And in, in this way, I think there is some nice light to existentialism and experiencing life and to enjoying it. I think there's something good for that. And, you know, and this is obviously where a lot of religion springs up because, if there is an afterlife, if there is something to come, then everything we do really does matter now, right? All the all the uh, the decisions and the choices, the good, the bad, uh, it's all on the scale in some form or another. And this can now be your way uh, to experience, you know, eternity. And I don't know. I think that's that's fine. I mean, I'm I'm not here to crap on all belief systems, and I I appreciate people who have these, you know, views. Um, that's certainly not mine. And, uh, I've, I've been there before. I've certainly come out of a religious background and 
it was the hardest part for me coming out of that background was determining what does my life mean now? What does anything mean now if there is no afterlife, if there is nothing that gets better from here? Um, because that was a really depressing thought like, oh, this mm-hmm. is as good as it gets. Well, crap. And I came to a few conclusions for sure. One was if it all disappears anyway, why not chase my dreams? Why not go after the things that I really want in life? Why not pursue my my joy and my happiness? Because if if this is all temporary anyway, then the worst I can do is fail and die. And if it's if if it's not temporary, you know, or if it is if if I don't do those things, then the next worst thing is to not do any of that stuff and live without hope and then die. <laughs> like that yeah. sounds way more, you know, miserable and meaningless to me um, than just going for it. Because why not? And of course, again, context is everything. I can do that because I don't have anyone relying on me and it changes whenever you have family and et cetera. But yeah. And so that was the first kind of thing that I realized, but it took months, months and months to come to my next conclusion is, yeah, maybe. Okay. So fine. There's no afterlife. I don't live forever, but you know, what is nice is that I can change maybe the life of someone around me and maybe they can change the life of someone around them. And in that way, maybe I don't get to see it a thousand years from now, but I can be a link in the chain of helping other people's lives. And, and in that way, my eternity is through my impact is through the ripple and the water, you know, that can, and as far out as that ripple can go, great. I know it all settles down anyway, and that's okay too. And it's just coming to this place of, you know, inner peace and acceptance of this is the way life is. And that's all right. And I think that's the hardest thing about being conscious, right? Our dogs don't know that, you know, their, their time is limited. You know, that's, that's their gift and curse, you know, because they, they get to just go be happy and eat and pee on everything, you know, and that's okay. Um, but our gift and curse is to be aware of our demise. Um, and, and I think the best that we can do is just kind of learn to understand it as much as you can and to accept it and deal with it accordingly and and to see the the beauty and uh the utility of being something beautiful in someone else's life i think that's uh something really nice and something really cool that's awesome man couldn't agree more well said thanks um any final thoughts about a ghost story i i I tried to love on it as much as I could, (laughs) despite my utter contempt for it. (laughs) Uh, No, no, that was it. I think we both spoke our piece. And this is this is one of the the only movies we disagree on. I think it's few. Or just come come at it from a different perspective. Yeah, yeah. I would have to really chew on it. I would say this might be our third. Yeah, our third. Chef, Endgame. And a ghost story, I think, might be our yeah. our I've, three. I've, I need to go back and watch Endgame again because or listen to that that episode. I don't even remember; it's been <laughs> that long since I've watched it. But yeah, I still don't like Chef. So, <laughs> so John Favreau's worst work. Oh, that's so good, <laughs> and like my favorite thing he's ever done. That's so. Good. It's unbelievable. That is <laughs> unreal. How wrong your opinion is. <laughs> so, uh, what are you going to recommend this week? Uh, I'm going to stick with the ghost theme and mm. uh, recommend – well, let me make sure that we haven't – yeah, no, we're good. I want to recommend Poltergeist. 
1982, I think it was. And uh, just a great, great ghost film. One of the greats of all time. They were they made three of them. And the really weird thing is that there was like a curse. There was considered a curse around them because like a, a cast member or a crew member or something would die after each one. And then I think after the third one, was it the third one where the, the girl dies? The mm-hmm. little girl passes away? And anyway, yeah. So, But the first one is the, is the seminal one. So Poltergeist. Yeah, I'm going to also stick with the ghost theme. I'm going to recommend a little anime that I think most a good chunk of our audience has probably seen. If not, I think most of our audience has heard of it. Uh, It's called Spirit of the Way. It's uh, a Ghibli film. And I think it's more than anything. I think it's a film people have heard about and just never sat and watched because it's a cartoon. And so if that's you, if you're like, I don't know if I can really sit through it's to me the antithesis, the antidote for uh, a ghost story, in that you know it's it's going to take you on a ride. It's going to be visually compelling, and yet it there's a, a strong emotional undercurrent. And at the same time, it's not there to provide you answers. And so I think if you want to see my version of a ghost story that I think hits a lot of the same ideas, but takes it somewhere meaningful and worthwhile. Uh, I think Spirit of the Way is that version for me. Um, and so, yeah, go watch that. I think it's streaming right now on HBO, um, HBO Max. Uh, I think they have a deal still in place with Ghibli. And uh, well worth it. It's beautiful. I guarantee you will not regret it. Yeah. And so stay tuned next week. We didn't discuss it, but are you good with this yeah, we're gonna we're gonna check out the new Robert Eggers film, The Northman, um, and and see what that's about. Uh, hopefully, good things. We don't know. Again, so this is April 11th is when we're recording. We usually record this about a week and a half in advance. And so whenever you said taxes, I looked and said, "Oh my God, it's four days from now." <laughs> and so, yeah, or or three days. I don't know. Whenever tax right stuff now happens. is when it matters. Yeah. It doesn't always <laughs> not matter. Taxes matter, guys. Okay. I haven't done mine either. So yeah, that's fun. Um, If you're enjoying the show, don't forget, subscribe, drop us a review. Um, I believe we've picked up one or two new listeners over on uh, Amazon uh, music. Uh, We had a crazy spike for a few days. It's come back down. Um, So whatever they did, no worries. They, they, they cut us out. (laughs) So um, (laughs) thanks and no thanks. Uh, But uh, to Amazon, but to the listeners, welcome. <laughs> uh, and if uh, if you want to leave us a note on this episode, you can do that. I want to give a shout out to uh, you. We did this episode. Hopefully, we did some small justice to it. Again, let me reiterate the thing that I love about this film is hearing other people's thoughts and feelings on it. And so, you, if you want to uh, drop us a note and tell us what you thought, you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash a ghost story. And today we'll leave you with a quote of the day from Virginia Woolf. The eyes of others are prisoners. Their thoughts are cages. Where is that from? Uh, I don't remember. It's probably from one of her novels. I've only read one of her novels. So she was quoted at the beginning of this film with Mm -hmm. whatever hour you woke, there was a door shutting. Um, And that was from one of her novels. Uh, And so I was just curious, you know, to kind of peruse some of her quotes. And I came on that one and I thought it was interesting because there's another way I think you can recontextualize this film from the standpoint of Rooney Mara. And so if you start thinking about her 
Um, and I think Virginia Woolf was making this in context of feminism. I would wager a guess, right? The eyes of others are prisoners, are prisons. Their thoughts are cages in, in the sense that women for much of our history, the overwhelming majority of it, really didn't have a lot of freedom. And they didn't have that freedom because of the men around them and what they said that they should or shouldn't be based on the way they thought about gender roles and dynamics and um, et cetera, right? You couldn't buy land. You couldn't have your own money. Uh, and if you did and then you got married, it was no longer yours. Uh, stuff like that. So I'm I'm willing to bet it's probably, you know, in, in, in context with something like that. But when reading it in the context of this of this film, it just made me think of, the ghost uh, C was maybe holding M captive uh, in, in some ways through his own reflection of his life. And, and so if you start thinking about that quote in terms of what is this impact on her that he's having, you know, he, is he kind of caging her a little bit um, and just his inability to, to let go. And he's still kind of living this asshole life right he's still kind of a jerk and still selfish and still only thinking about himself and and that's having a real yeah impact on her i mean definitely you know and we can see it with you know one of the one of the times he actually interacts or the times he interacts is never good yeah you know with the real world is never good it's you know the piano where he's defeated and he like knocks things off it it's the picking up the, the mug and throwing it against the wall breaking stuff and so yeah he's a he's an asshole even in, in death for sure mm, yeah. i get it yeah great quote there uh well thank you guys so much for joining us i had a great time um yet chalk up for one more uh disagreement that wes and i have <laughs> it's all right it's gotta happen uh, as wes said please subscribe review us on itunes wherever you get your podcast and share us with your friends all of it helps and let us know if there's an episode that you'd like to see us do, a film that you'd like to see us do. We, we love hearing from you. And in the comments, leave any kind of thoughts that you have uh, about anything that we went over today. Uh, and until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch the movies. Mm-hmm.